I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is News Beat. Peace and love, everyone. It's your man, Manny Faces, rocking with you alongside Rashed Mian, Christopher Tawarski, the managing editor and editor-in-chief of News Beat, the podcast, respectively, bringing you this week in social justice. I always feel like we start very fast now because of the short intro. And no one's tuned in yet. But if you're listening on the podcast feed, hello to you. Greetings. What up, gentlemen? What is going on? Another up, week of weeks. This week has been a hell of a month. Uh, yep. For the people who are tuned in, the aforementioned podcast, uh, we are doing a live stream called This Week in Social Justice. It's your Newsbeat crew uh, doing this weekly live stream program. You could find us uh, on Twitch, on Facebook, on YouTube. You can go to usnewsbeat.com slash watch to get the links and find us every week. Uh, just if you're on the podcast feed, if you're watching us on the video feed, we're also a podcast. Do look for Newsbeat wherever you find uh, fabulous podcasts because we are among the fabulous of podcasts. Uh, we are a social justice journalism podcast mixing the uh, high-level journalism output that you gentlemen mostly, uh, mostly you two, uh, provide by interviewing. Is that high level? It's extremely high level. I'm a little, I'm not biased at all. It's very high level. Uh, we interview experts, analysts, activists, and those affected by injustice. And we uh, display those uh, interviews to you on a theme, whatever the episode of that podcast is. And then we weave it all under, over, over top a bed of music, which sets a mood. And very often, uh, we invite independent hip-hop artists to deliver their artistry specifically for that episode. So I do remind people that while this, this is This Week in Social Justice, please do check out Newsbeat, the podcast, wherever you find podcasts. It's an award-winning podcast, and it covers all of the things that happen in the world of social justice and politics and activism and all the things that you're talking about every day. And we usually cover them in depth before it's a big thing, before it's popular. You know what I mean? Like, like we do it. We always, we always cover something and then suddenly something pops off. Right. And we have something to point to. Uh, as there's now civil unrest in, uh, you know, in Minneapolis following the uh, flurry of horrible activity out there. We have an amazing uh, podcast episode called Why We Riot, which was one of our opuses, I'd say. Uh, and it's the example uh, of the kind of work that we do. We did this years ago, uh, and we explain, obviously, with the help of Dr. Cornell West, with the help of Rosa Clemente, with the help of activist Larry Hamm, uh, to explain, you know, obviously, why in the face of all these inc uh, incidents, uh, there can be violence in the streets. And for Why are they burning the CVS? <laughs> Or CVS. Well, listen, uh, we are going to talk, interestingly enough, I know that, Rashad, we're going to have this talk. Uh, we, we had this talk, and I think we're going to collectively have this talk about corporations and what they're doing to help uh, social justice. So we'll, we'll find out what CVS is really doing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't deserve to be burned down uh, left and right. But another topic for another day. <laughs> uh, tonight, gentlemen, uh, while we just, we have three main topics tonight, uh, we teased it out. I'm going to tell them, and then you're going to uh, tee up our guests, and then we're going to get into our news bites and tell people what, what the hell is going on. Uh, killer cops driving while black and police junk science and, 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 and robot dogs. 
tonight on this week in social justice. Tino in the real dogs in the background. Or the other thing, YouTube, leave your comments in the comments section, uh, your questions, comments. We will happily pass them along to our guests or to our little cohort here and try to figure out uh, if we can help answer your questions or pass, you know, or you say something and we'll say that you said it. We'll put it on the screen. It's really cool. It's like having your name on the radio. Uh, Tonight, gentlemen, who do we got coming up in the second half of the show? Yeah, we're honored to have uh, joining us tonight, Joshua Buddha, who's the neuro-oncology fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and Brigham and Women's Hospital. And uh, he'll be breaking down the origins of this term called excited delirium, the pseudoscience, really, that's used by police to explain the deaths of people in their custody and in police brutality cases. Mm. And this junk science really is being used as a defense right now in Derek Chauvin's uh, murder trial for killing George Floyd. Interesting. So really, really excited. I've, I've, I've heard the term excited delirium in, in conjunction with police uh, officer involved shootings. Uh, and uh, we don't say that. We don't say that anymore. No, I know. I was being, that was my sarcastic. <laughs> uh, and, and it's going to be interesting to hear uh, the breakdown of, of what that means and how police officers are getting off in these yeah. in these brutality cases because of this pseudoscience as as you just pointed out. So we will check that out. In the meantime, in between time, it is time for our news beat bite. Okay, I'm gonna start and I'm ready this time. How about that? I'll get some balloon emojis, some <laughs> clapping emojis. I'll, I'll get hold on, hold on, I'll get <laughs> <laughs> Uh, since we will uh, incorporate our podcasts with hip hop, uh, I wanted to do a, 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 a an inflection about this uh, daily news front page. Rest in peace to the great uh, Earl Simmons. DMX passed away. Obviously, this week uh, everyone knows this. Uh, this past week, uh, everyone knows this. Of course, uh, a big loss for uh, the art and and culture of hip hop music. Uh, a big uh, loss for you know people generally, whether you're inside or outside of hip hop culture. Uh, a lot of people connected with D. And, uh, and the music and his sort of persona, uh, which wasn't a persona. Like sometimes artists put out a persona. Mm-hmm. One of the things about DMX was you really got what you, you know, what you got. Uh, I thought this was interesting. There was a big pushback on this. And I, I did think that there was sort of, uh, you know, fitting for our, our topic here. Uh, the pushback was the, the juxtaposition uh, here, which I think some felt was a very uh, tasteless juxtaposition. The beloved royal and the troubled musician. Uh, there was a lot of, uh, act, you know, social media activity about a lot of people spoke out against this. And I thought it was, I, I've been a long time critic of how mainstream media and media outside of hip hop uh, treat hip hop. And, and generally it's, you know, the participants that are traditionally uh, you know, custom, uh, customarily connected with it. And this was, I think, another example of that. Uh, while DMX was troubled, and I think that that's not something we should shy away from because, Talking about vulnerability in music was one of the, actually one of his strengths, and why a lot of people I think uh, connected with him uh, to juxtapose it against the recently rumored to be a racist prince. Without, <laughs> you know what I mean? Without adding that little tidbit into the that sounds pretty troubled to me. Sounds pretty troubled to me. Um, someone actually made a point that there's a lot of pictures, uh, photos of DMX that uh, you know were uh, more flattering than this, but I, I don't like the justip- juxtaposition of this. I think what it does is it it's subtle. Uh, I don't know if it's purposeful. 
uh, you know, I can't call it. Uh, you were going to say, Rashad, I heard that teeth suck. I, 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 I got to imagine that they knew this was going to ignite controversy. I mean, uh, one of their, there's not, I don't think there's no way around it. And I, you know, the people who are listening to on the podcast feed should, um, well, I guess we'll, we'll, maybe we can drop this somewhere or you could just Google it. Just Google the daily news um, front cover of uh, DMX and the Prince. And thank you, you know, I, I for yourselves. Huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, it's a small but large and I could go. We could do a whole four hours. And if you follow me yeah. on some things I do sometimes uh, about how mainstream media tends to uh, really uh in a, in a very bigoted way, uh, denigrate hip hop and by extension, those typically associated with the genre and the culture. So an example of that pushback, we do not like it. Daily news. We do not like it. Christopher back over to you. Back to you. Back to you, Jim. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm going to use my news bites to talk about Emmett Hill because Emmett Hill, because um, any chance we get to bring attention to this, I, I think it's uh, we, we have to have it on the show. But there's two uh, there's two things going on right now. Uh, one is a movement to have the church that hosted his funeral uh, to become a historical landmark, hmm. and the second is uh, the awarding of congressional gold medals to both Till and his mother Mamie. And oh wow. You know, for for listeners or, or viewers who, who may not know of Emmett Till, uh, he was 14 years old in 1955, uh, lived in Chicago, and went down to Mississippi to visit uh, family. And when he was down there, he uh, allegedly whistled at a, at a white woman. Uh, it turns out now, I mean, it looks like she made the whole goddamn thing up. Um, and he was kidnapped tortured, mutilated, lynched, and his body was found three days later in the Tallahatchie, Tallahatchie River. And the story might have, could have ended there. And we wouldn't be talking about Emmett Till right now were it not for the actions of his mother. And, you know, first of all, it's hard to even try to imagine the, the grief and torment that she had, but the, the state of his body was such that, and if you, you know, just Google Emmett Till, you'll, you'll see, but uh, I'm basically this, this 14 year old was faceless, you know, I mean, that's just one of the things that they did to him. Right. And she demanded that his body be brought back up to Chicago. And she demanded and ordered an open casket funeral. Right. And by doing that, is why we're talking right now. I mean, it, it, it galvanized the civil rights movement at the time. Tens of thousands attended this funeral and it, it sparked outrage about the racism in America throughout the world. And, you know, Rosa Parks, when she refused to give up her seat on that bus, which, which started the whole um, Montgomery bus boycott, which helped lead to uh, desegregation and, and onward and onward and onward um, mentioned him as the reason why she couldn't get out of that seat. So the fact that they're, they're thinking of, of, of making the church, which has just fallen into, you know, disrepair over the decades 
yeah. into a historic site and 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 then it would be put under the US Parks you know service department it would be restored there would be you know educational uh, seminars there would be you know yeah and the so, congressional and also the congressional medals i mean anything that that can happen now in a present day to bring yeah. attention to what happened to Emmett Till um is 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 worthy of of increased awareness so yeah, that's dope. I was just I was looking to see who introduced the legislation. Uh, Senators Roger Wicker and right? Bobby Rush, uh, Congressman, yeah. Bob, Congressman Bobby Rush, who's who's you know Black Panther, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tammy Duckworth. So yeah, so interesting and 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 uh, certainly uh, worthy. So thanks for bringing that up. You know, we we don't hear about that on the on the TV, do we? We don't hear about some of these things happening that uh, that we should hear about. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate you. Uh, Rashad, your news beat news bite. What do you got? All right. So uh, I don't know if this is By a good way, strategy on our part. And not to cut you off, everyone who's listening, uh, these things are linked in the comment section. If you want to find more about these information, these information, this information, these stories, click on the links. And I guess we should start putting them in the in the yep. video feeds as well. Go ahead, Rashad. I'm sorry. Most deaf. Yeah. Yep. yep. I was going to say that. Uh, this is the second week in the, in the row that we're pseudo criticizing Facebook. And since we're streaming live on there, I don't know if this is a good idea, but oh no. Um, a civil rights group, Muslim, Muslim advocates, is suing Facebook uh, basically for misleading Congress, saying that um, Mark Zuckerberg essentially lied when he said that they take down hate content. So, Muslim advocates in their suit is um, alleging that Facebook, they've, they've brought uh, these instances of, of hate groups on Facebook's platform uh, to Facebook's attention, and they haven't taken them all down. And these are some um, pretty awfully sounding uh, hate, group, hate groups um, that's on the platform. I'll give you some examples. So okay. we have in, Infidels Unite Against Islam. Oh, very scary. Death to Islam Undercover. Uh, purge Worldwide and so much more and so much more. And mm. it's amazing, obviously, that um, these groups get to thrive on on Facebook. And I think it's also relevant because I don't know if you guys saw it, but the Washington Post this week had a story where they said domestic terrorism is basically at an all-time high. Well, it was in 2020. Right. And that was driven largely by uh, right-wing extremists and anti-Muslim hate groups. So mm. it makes sense, right, to try to police anti-Muslim hate when that's uh, something that's on the rise. It's obviously been um, a staple of American politics since September 11th. Uh, this, there is something called the Islamophobia industry, which produces millions of dollars, and that's used to um, drive um, anti-Muslim and bigoted hatred toward um, the religion. So, uh, yeah, definitely thinks uh, I definitely think it's something that Facebook obviously needs to address. Definitely so. We can spend an entire episode, and we probably will, uh, talking about Islamophobia, talking about uh, the misuse of the word jihad. We did a whole episode about this. Uh, the entire uh, it was the Islamophobia industry, um, and and so keeping up with this uh, when it's not necessarily front and center anymore, because you're not hearing Muslim ban all over the TV, and it's not you know Muslims dancing in the streets after 9/11. Uh, that these things are still happening. These groups are still allowed to flourish. And social media playing a part, bro, is so... I watched that QAnon documentary on HBO. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that some other time, man. The, just, I need to watch it. I need to. Man, listen, I didn't... I thought I knew. You know, I was like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, 4chan, 8chan, 8kun. I, I know these... I've heard some things. I get it. I know Reddit. I get it. Bro, the, 
It's I'm sure some of them are part of these groups. Man, listen. Uh, the, the, I'm sure some of them are in Veterans Against Islamic Filth. <laughs> really a group? Ah, oh, man. Um, uh, uh, shouts to uh, uh, every Muslim celebrating Ramadan at the moment, and uh, we will continue to make sure uh, we um, uh, still bring light to these issues, even though you're not hearing about them every day on the news like you should. Yes, sir? Yep. All right. I forgot the way to say happy Ramadan. I, I know it, but I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not talking about Eid Mubarak. No, I know. Exactly. Anyway, um, respect and love uh, 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 to, uh, to everyone. Um, okay, let's move on. We have a guest in the next half of the show, and that guest will be coming on to talk about police junk science. Now, what this means is that some of the ways that police brutality doesn't get police who engage in police brutality don't get held accountable, which is what we all want, is that they use pseudoscience on the state on the stand when they ever do get taken to trial. And some of that pseudoscience revolves around what's the phrase? Excited delirium. Excited delirium, which sounds really that sounds psychologically important. Yeah, I don't I don't want that. And no one wants that excited delirium. It's it's two things that don't you know what I mean? But it also it also sounds like some sort of potion that you can drink. I don't know. And it's fictional. It's unrecognized by so we, yeah, modern so we, so, well, modern not, medical science. Right, and and cops are getting off because of it. So we're going to talk we about get into it. This. Please do. It's very important. It's something you need to know about uh, that I only learned about very recently. Um, in the meantime, before that, we want to talk about a little bit, and, and we have about 10, 15 minutes. So bear with us. We're going to get into this topic quickly, but in depth very quickly. Uh, we talked about, uh, we, we teased it again in the beginning, driving while black. Uh, the uh, Dante Wright, who was just uh, shot and killed by uh, Brooklyn Center Police in Minneapolis, 10 miles away from where the Derek Chauvin uh, George, you know, trial uh, for the murder of George Floyd. All this is happening at once. Um, We've got to talk about a couple of issues. Uh, take it away, gentlemen. Let me know why all of this is tied together when it comes to driving while black. Yeah, well, Rashad, I'll let you go into the stats and stuff. I know you did a ton of research on this. Um, but basically, you know, the number one interaction that the public has with police are traffic stops. And, right. um and I think that the numbers, I think it's not robot dogs. 20, I'm sorry. Not robot dogs. Well, you went into this. And so we switched gears. I mean, you're telling <laughs> I us think we'll save the robot minutes. dogs for the end of the show. I, I think that'll be a fitting, I mean, it's incredible. I, I, I think that'll be a fitting way to conclude the show. The robot dogs. Some of the first contacts we're going to have are now with robot dogs. I'm just saying, go ahead. I'll well, soon the first contact will be robot dogs. Go ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how to come back from that. Shad, you want to just jump into the stats? <laughs> okay, I think what Chris was trying to get at is that, all right, so obviously there's a lot of attention being made to what happened after the police confronted, um, uh, right? And obviously that's justified because of the, the shooting, the fatal, you know, the fatal shooting, um, the, the officer somehow mistaking her taser for a gun, which to many people seems inexplicable. Um, right. Rightfully so, I think, especially for a so-called 26-year veteran of the force. But I think it's important to talk about, and this is something that initially when this happened, the first thing I thought about was that initial interaction that has 
that people have with cops. And as Chris mentioned, the, the, the number one way in which people interact with police is through traffic stops. And it's something like 50,000 a day. And I, I think the number, I think that equates to 20 million people a year are seeing police through a traffic stop, right? And studies have shown that black drivers are far more likely than their white counterparts um, to be stopped and right. far more likely also to be searched, even though studies have also shown that white people have a greater chance of having contraband on them, right? So even if they think they're, they're using some data and analytics to back this up, that is also flawed. Um, right. So there, and I think, uh, I think Chris will talk about this. There was an analysis um, done by ABC News and it found in Minnesota, obviously where both George Floyd and Dante Wright were killed, Dante Wright after a traffic stop, black drivers were five times more likely um, to be stopped by police than white drivers. And obviously that was uh, Minneapolis or the, that area was also the scene of where Philando Castile was killed. Right. In terms of that incident, I mean, you know, um, you can, you can watch the video online and, and what's insane to me too, is how quickly these things can escalate. And so, you know, you take what Rashad just said about these numbers and this predominantly it's African-Americans being pulled over. Um, and, it, it just exponentially increases the opportunities for something like this to happen. And, and in right. uh, Philandro Castile's case, you know, what was just striking to me is it, it took 40 seconds um, between uh, the officer who pulled him over mm. to him being slumped over dead with four or five bullets in his chest. Um, right. 40 seconds, uh, you know, and this goes on and on and on and on. Um, you know, uh, you go case by case. I mean, Sandra Bland, uh, Sandra Bland was was uh, another victim like this who um, actually uh, you know survived, but then was found uh, hung in her jail cell in Texas um, after. But again, just a, a routine traffic stop. And there's this thing called pretextual stops, which um, you know a lot of the a lot of, of these studies uh, look into, which is actually constitutional right now. But um, because of of all, just the sheer amount of, of, of killings right. going on uh, is now being looked into. But basically it's uh, the gist of it is, is that they can, you know, police can stop your car uh, for something small and then conduct an investigation into, into something uh, much larger. And that's what is used a lot of times um, as justification for this stuff. Yeah. I mean, and Philando Castile was stopped 52 times since 2002 and that was uh so after he was killed the acu aclu filed a complaint um a lawsuit um i guess the police officer and 52 times since 2002 and philando castile didn't even have a criminal record um the according to acu it was mostly just these stops yeah there it is he had stopped 52 times and the fines amassed more than six thousand dollars like it's just incredible to think about how many times they're stopping people um we obviously, Chris mentioned um, Sandra Bland. You also had Walter Scott, um, right. another recent case in South Carolina, and he was shot and killed. Um, so I think, you know, every time one of these things happen, it sort of just um, recalls another experience that we've seen um, a, a, a black man mostly, but, you know, obviously black women um, face unjust injustices from the police too. Um, in the case of George Floyd, it recalled what happened to Eric Gardner because George Floyd was saying, I can't breathe. And that became a rallying cry after Eric Gardner was killed in Staten Island. 
Um, in this, in the right case, we're now seeing just, just the enormous impact these traffic stops have on people. And it was for something so minor that you or I would not get pulled over for if it's something hanging in a rear view mirror or potentially uh, uh, expired registration, which I think is now the justification. I think now they're saying that it's the expired registration. And then they also found the air freshener hanging from the rear view mirror. And then, oh, we also found a warrant. So, so that's something that Chris mentioned, these pretextual stops. Very, and, but very minor, but very uh, incidental pretextual thing. Uh, uh, right. uh, the broken and not always right either, because the broken, the old, that old broken taillight that might be broken after the stop. Um, but the, 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 what comes into uh, mind with me is the uh, lieutenant uh, in the army, uh, forget his mm-hmm. name, sorry, who was pulled over for not having a license plate, even though he had a license plate. So even yeah. if you have pretextual, it's, it's, it's often incorrect. Go ahead. We're, right, we're, right. And, so what, and just like, uh, well, just because I just want to get one thing across also yeah. that. That how deadly these stops can be. So the N- NPR did an analysis. Uh, I forgot how many years they went back. I think to 2015. And they found there was there 135 police killings of unarmed black men. There it is. Um, if you're watching on the stream, you can see it. 135 police killings of unarmed black men. Uh, and of the dead, 18% suffered. I, I'm sorry. Of the 135, a quarter of those people were killed in those traffic stops. And I think 18% suffered from a mental illness. And again... As we know, we have in this country criminalization of the mentally ill. So there's just so many factors that come into play. And the police, as we know from example after example, are not equipped to handle these situations. And that just brings us to something that we always like to address in our episodes on this show of This Week in Social Justice is what are the solutions? What are municipalities? What are people trying to do to solve these? And we've had um, some advocates calling for the abolition of these pretext stops, um, right. right? And for you know these innocuous reasons that you just uh, described, Manny. Um, in Oregon, the Supreme Court there a couple of years ago um, basically outlawed the practice. So you can't stop somebody and then use that as justification uh, to investigate for another matter, say, you, you know, weed or guns or something like that. Um, Berkeley, California, interestingly, interestingly enough, um, I think it was back in June or July of 2020, uh, the city council there is moving ahead with actually removing the police department from traffic and parking violations. And that would go to a new uh, branch of the government of civilians who will handle those cases. So they're, they're taking the police out of it. And that's that something that obviously not. advocates have calling for a long, long time. That's interesting. Let me play very quickly. We only have a couple of minutes for our guests this year. Uh, very quickly, let me play uh, White Devil's Advocate. Uh, <laughs> this, as police will tell you, and I'm sure it's true, and I'm not to downplay this at all, but uh, it is a very uh, nervous situation when a police officer does pull over somebody, perhaps for a good reason. It does happen. Um, replacing police with civilians during this kind of uh, tense moment, how does that, how, do we know how that, you know, how they just, well, well, in that, in that, situation they're still working out the king so that's not something that's going to happen immediately right they're not going to just go ahead and have unarmed civilians doing traffic stops but yeah most traffic yeah yeah i mean most traffic stops you know for for speeding and other um instances so um, i think that's something that we're just going to keep an eye on right and just see because that's basically going to be um an example of how other places across the country if it's successful yeah. Um, can use it's going to be a model basically that's going to be followed if it's, if it's successful. So I think that's something that we should keep an eye on. Um, I don't yeah, know about and because 
and there's just this, I don't know, I'm going to let Chris talk about this if, if he wants, but there's this also this idea of the veil of darkness, right, Chris, that yeah, we, yeah. we found so in our research. It's insane. I mean, so the largest ever study of alleged racial profiling during traffic stops found that African-Americans who are, who are pulled over more frequently than whites by day mm-hmm. are much more less likely to be stopped after sunset when a, quote, veil of darkness masks their race. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's right there. It's showing that because they can't identify the person or their race because the sun is setting, there's uh, less stops happening. So, I mean, if anything else, I don't know if you needed any more examples or, or data to back it up. I mean, I think that sort of underscores um, what's happening. It, it's sort of, it's, it's it, again, it's not surprising. It's something that we know. Uh, I, I, I hope that it's something that now gets covered more in when people are talking about criminal justice reform, especially in light of what happened um, to Dante Wright. Yeah, absolutely. Traffic stops. Uh, a part of police reform that you don't always hear about. You know, we, we hear about demilitarization, taking away some of the funding and, and these things. But it's it's the pat it's the patterns and behaviors, right? That leads to the things that happen uh, that don't yeah. need to, that really don't need to. We're not even gonna get into mistaking your taser for you. Oh, wait a minute, maybe we are gonna get into that in a few minutes. Uh, <laughs> how that how that sort of thing might what might happen or be used as an excuse. Uh yep. thank you. Is the, did I cover? Did we cover everything? Some police reforms into effect in Virginia. I had. Oh yeah, I think Virginia is another one that's doing something similar to uh, what the the Colorado Supreme Court ruled. Um, I'm not sure if because there was a package of criminal justice reform bills that were being passed in Virginia, and I mm-hmm. think the governor there didn't immediately sign that specific law. He wanted some amendments, but yeah, uh, that is another place where there is some sort of reform around these pretextual stops. Got it. All right. Well, listen, all in an effort to decrease this crazy graphic. Yeah, this is, this is absolutely uh, insane. This is shout out to my friend, uh, Scheibel, who sent this, sent this our way just before we went on. But um, this is an interactive map, uh, a project really uh, between data scientists and activists, and you can hover over it and click on it and it will give you the details for all police shootings in, in the U.S. And if you scroll down a little bit on there, uh, that this sort of right there, um, there were only, this is, so this, this, this sort of like uh, tic-tac-toe board here, this, this calendar thing here, look at this. There were only 18 days in 2020 where police did not kill someone. Oh my God. Look at that. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. So this is definitely worth checking out. Um, you know, we'll, we'll put this link in the, in the, no, on the, yeah. on the page and stuff, but it's, uh, Look at the three and mores. <laughs> Look at the seven on a day. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, apparently it's the most comprehensive, d- uh, data mining, uh, project of its kind. This is um, from mapping police Uh, we'll obviously try to link all these things, but if you're listening and want to look at this incredible graphic, um, which puts a lot of this in a perspective, uh, and and reminds us of the uh, pandemic within a pandemic within a pandemic. Know what I mean? Yeah, it's um, I, it's yeah. actually scary to look at. I don't, it's actually sort of triggering, honestly. I mean, yeah, I know. yeah. And I mean, they, 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 I mean, they don't they don't have to have little bursts of explosions. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> It, it looks like it looks like there's just I mean, right now. It looks like we're under attack, like a nuclear. Jesus. 
Or maybe that's Holocaust part of Holocaust is happening. I don't know. It's even happening in Hawaii. Did you see that? It was like in Alaska, there's a little boop, 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 boop. crazy graphic. Mappingpoliceviolence.org. Uh, we laugh to uh, hide the tears. Uh, let me reset the room, as they say on Clubhouse. Uh, this is This Week in Social Justice. Thank you, gentlemen, for that incredible breakdown. Driving while black, police reforms to include uh, the difference between how uh, differences in, in how police stops escalate so uh, so dramatically way more than they should. I wonder if there's, well, again, a couple of the jurisdictions, Oregon, Virginia, perhaps, uh, already trying, Berkeley, uh, city in California, trying some things out. I'd love to see a comprehensive, I'd love to, you know what I would like to see? A Newsbeat episode that delves into this and see how it's working. We love solutions in this podcast. We love to find out ways that uh, we can tell you all the bad things that have happened and all the bad things that are happening, but we love to find out about people who are changing the game and doing it right. Uh, that is a segue for me to remind listeners, uh, watchers, viewers, that we are a podcast. We do this this week, a social justice show, but we're also a very, uh, a very awesome podcast that delves into issues like this with great detail uh, interviewing the experts, the analysts, the activists, and those affected by injustice, mixing it with a splash of music, and very often independent hip-hop artists dropping their very compelling, brilliant lyrical contributions to our podcast. It's called Newsbeat. We like to say it's like as if Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast baby. Shouts to our artist in residence, Silent Knight, who is in the room or was uh, in the room checking us out. And let us move on. Uh... Fun fact of the day, because we do like to, you know, mix it up a little bit. It's, it's very heavy show. Uh, I just noticed on on Reddit that Kevin Durant has more tweets on Twitter than career points in the NBA. I thought that was very uh, interesting. It's uh, pretty impressive, actually. Yeah, pretty impressive, right? Twenty something thousand and twenty something worth that. You know, a little bit more yeah. tweet. So Kevin Durant. Anyway, let's keep it moving, y'all. It's this week in social justice. Uh, we have an amazing guest uh, to talk about. The I think the part two, the the sort of extension of the conversation we were just having. Uh, in some ways. Yep. Uh, so please uh, introduce our guest and we will welcome uh, him with a fanfare. Yes, we're excited uh, tonight to talk to Joshua Buddha. He uh, is the neuro-oncology fellow at Massachusetts General Hospital, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and Brigham and Women's Hospital. Uh, Joshua, thank you so much for coming. Yeah, um, and uh, thanks for inviting me on the show. Yeah, Josh. So uh, we really wanted to um, have you on after we started doing some research on this, you know, this idea, this notion of excited delirium that we've been hearing in the Derek Chauvin trial. So um, for our viewers and listeners, can you start off by just giving an explanation of exactly what this term is and how it's used by law enforcement? Uh, Sure. So I'll I'll kind of start off by saying uh, excited delirium is not a medical diagnosis. It's not recognized by the American Medical Association. It's not recognized by the American Psychiatric Association, the WHO. It's not in the DSM-5. It's basically this kind of medical legal construct that was developed in the 1980s to kind of explain away deaths in police custody and has evolved into this wastebasket kind of catch-all diagnosis that uh, kind of misappropriates different parts of real medical conditions, uh, packages it all up. And then uh, it's kind of used as a convenient out because inevitably this syndrome or so is fatal. It happens in police custody. And it really is a way for both law enforcement um, to honestly justify police brutality as well as um, absolve them of accountability. And, and Josh, could you go a little bit um, into the exact origins, the modern day origins 
Yeah. So uh, the term actually uh, was first coined in 1985 by Charles Wetley. He's a uh, forensic pathologist working out of Florida. And he um, had examined seven uh, individuals who, who died. Each of them had cocaine in their system. They all had um, died within about one to two hours of interactions with the police with physical restraints. They died of um, uh, respiratory um, distress. And five of them actually died in police custody. Um, he kind of tried to link this and said, potentially, this is some type of new syndrome that's th that, that has come out. This is this excited um, delirium. And that's when it was first put in the um, literature. And then he looked, he, he was also in charge of looking through all of that, the um, um, deaths in uh, Miami. And uh, between 1980 and 1990, there were a series of 32 uh, black women who, who were um, killed. Uh, most of them were sex workers. They were found to um, have cocaine in their system. And this is where um, Charles Wetley kind of came up with, they all died from this excited delirium that, and he, uh, there's a couple of really telling interviews that he, he says that he thinks cocaine does something to the brain, especially in relation to the, the, the sex of these, uh, of these people. Um, and he says this whole syndrome kind of uh, starts with kind of drug intoxication. There's some type of um, receptors that's, or kind of um, neurochemistry that's going on that leads to, to, to death. Um, interestingly, for all of these 32 uh, cases, the, these are actually re-examined afterwards. Um, and it was found that uh, they actually died of asphyxiation and a serial killer was actually uh, found and, and caught and actually attributed all of these 30, 32 deaths um, uh, to, the, to a serial killer, whereas he had said this was excited delirium. But that was only wow. until years afterwards. Uh, and then, uh, but by then, uh, excited delirium had, had kind of come, um, come into the scene. And this is when the early 90s to the mid 90s in which um, uh, if you look at kind of the um, statistics as well, um, whites who died of uh, cocaine um, use were called cocaine toxicity, whereas blacks who died of cocaine use were called excited delirium. And that's when some of the, this kind of the syndrome stuff comes in, in which um, uh, people started defining it as a syndrome in which you become impervious to uh, pain. You have superhuman strength. Um, uh, you, you kind of don't comply with um, com, um, police instructions and kind of all these racist tropes and stereotypes kind of come out yeah. in which of the kind of, you know, this, the scary um, black man really, the, uh, those kind of stereotypes go in. And, uh, and also at this time, this is when there's kind of this in, um, uh, industrial kind of um, uh, play going on as well in which kind of Taser International, Axon International um, embraces mm -hmm. the, this diagnosis. It's being shown up on a lot of different uh, medical um, examiners' um, uh, uh, reports. And then uh, that's in the 2000s, which it, uh, the American College of Emergency Physicians wrote a white paper uh, that kind of said that they uh, had examined this and they said potentially it's a diagnosis. And that's when uh, you, you'll kind of see all literature kind of string back in, in, into that area. So it's really a diagnosis that kind of strung out out of uh, racist origins in the, in the 80s without really any historical backing or any kind of unique features. Yeah, it's amazing uh, because it's something that you think you'll, you would hear from uh, somebody from like the early 20th century, right? And it really wasn't that long ago. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it, uh, can you talk about sort of um, just how head-scratching it is that um, right now a defense witness 
is you is using excited delirium in the trial um, and actually admitted that they she trains uh, active officers um, in excited delirium when it's not something that's uh, accepted by the medical community. Yeah, and and this is something that that's really like w- when you look at it, um, almost everyone who's a proponent of excited delirium has some type of conflict. There's all they're either uh, being paid to testify or they're people who are training um, in terms of how to react to excited delirium. And there's there's all this kind of um, you know external conflict that that um, uh, comes into play. Um, what I'll say is that um, uh, kind of from that uh, 2009. Well, white paper from the American Academy of Emergency Physicians. Um, you know, three of the people who wrote that were actually being paid by, by um, Taser, wasn't disclosed at, at the um, time. And there's kind of been this whole industry that um, has kind of come, come out of this, this uh, term. And you have to really parallel that to what's happening in the medical community. So in medical school, excited delirium is not taught. It's not in any textbooks. It's not a recognized medical diagnosis. So you have the syndrome that's, uh, or I'll say quote unquote syndrome that's developed in the 80s, 90s, um, and then they, now in the um, 2000s, in which it's kind of propagating in like law enforcement and the legal community, but it's not in the medical community because it's not a diagnosis that we came up with or support. So you kind of have it kind of coming um, unrestricted, unrestrained, and there's kind of the starting uh, publishing data. And if you look at almost all these uh, reports and kind of all these, uh, 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 you know, um, studies about excited delirium, they kind of all cite themselves. And this, there's this really poor science that's the, that's going on in which someone writes a paper, then they write um, another paper, cite their old paper, and it just keeps propagating where, oh, now there's a body of literature about this condition. But it's not and it really falls apart pretty, pretty quickly if you take a, a um, in-depth analysis at it. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible. I mean, you know, uh, Rochette and I had only just sort of started learning about this the other day when we found your your paper, and um, it's just the more you you learn that it's it's just fictional, and it's being used to justify killings, even today. Um, let me ask you, how prevalent is it is it being used as a justification for uh, in in police brutality cases or or just uh, death? within police custody. Yeah. So, and, and that's honestly one of the biggest problems. We, we don't know the exact numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know how widely this is being used. Um, we tried to look back and there's not much data, but in Florida over a period of 10 years, about 54 deaths, deaths I believe were attributed to excited delirium. And I think in Baltimore, Maryland, they said about 10% of deaths in police custody uh, were ex- attributed to excited delirium. But this is where it becomes a big problem for us because in the medical field, if you have something, um, you could even look at the kind of vaccine rollout, what's going on. Everything is recorded um, meticulously and uh, everything is in numbers. You say these are the adverse reactions. You say this is this is um, how many times something happens. Um, and that's how we form up with, you know, symptoms, a diagnosis. This is how like medicine is is scientifically advanced. Whereas excited delirium, it's it's who knows how often this is being invoked. Um, it, it's kind of almost cherry picked in terms of the of of, of when it, it it comes out, and also the kind of um, the description of it. All of the um, parts of it are really uh, um, nondescript and non and and um, unspec- um, unspecific. So it's really kind of doesn't have any muster in terms of scientific um, validity. And, and that's a big problem, which I think one of the hopefully 
ways to kind of um, kind of try to fix this is to really someone has to go through and look and try to figure out how many times this is actually being invoked and and um and and not only in the U.S. but it's actually a, a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah, and Josh, I'm just wondering, you know, on that note, I mean, are there have there been attempts by the medical community to go into law enforcement and you know and try to explain um, why this kit shouldn't be used as um, uh, as training? first of all, right, but also to justify um, police abuses? Or, or uh, if so, has there have law enforcement been resistant to some of those conversations? Do you know um, anything about that? Yeah. So I'll say this is for a lot of the, in the medical field, this is, again, the same same as you, the first time that a lot of people are hearing about this. So it's, it's not taught basically anywhere. So now there's a push in terms of uh, it's becoming a lot more publicized, um, we published these pieces in July. There's a, a recent article in, in Stat News kind of also denouncing it, asking for medical organizations to really come out and take a stance on it. But, um, you know, five, ten years ago, no, almost no one in the medical community has really um, heard about this. And, and that's when it becomes hard is because you're arguing with the fictional diagnosis that none of us believe in. So it's if it, it would be something if, you know, um, Two, there's two spectrums of field in medicine. We uh, we can uh, we either talk about it, publish papers, and kind of figure out if this is a real or um, valid diagnosis. But for a lot of people, it just doesn't exist, and no, and it actually has not been at the forefront, or even people have not even been aware of this. So I'm hoping over the next few months to um, uh, that you know med- major medical organizations like besides just saying it it uh, it doesn't exist, actually come out and um, denounce this diagnosis. Now, Josh, um, we've covered um, a little bit off off of excited delirium topic, but um, you know, we we did a lot of coverage of COVID uh, and how it disproportionately uh, affects Black and Brown communities, um, and the death rate. You know, I think at one point was double or more um, than the white counterparts. Um, and I came across your your blog. Um, for I guess the neurology blog. And so I just, since we were having you, I, I just thought it was so powerful to me. Um, and just, I can't imagine, you know, the emotion that went into that. Um, so I was wondering, you know, I just wanted to call awareness to it, um, you know, to our viewers and, and listeners, and we'll share a link. Um, and, and just wonder if you might um, comment on sort of the critical need uh, for diversity and inclusion uh, to combat, you know, institutionalized biases within the healthcare um, and I just want to obviously, you know, give condolences uh, to your brother, um, who was who you mentioned in that in that piece. Yeah, yeah, and um, 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 thank you. And you know, even now thinking back of it, it's 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 a really traumatizing moment. But it was honestly the catalyst for both me and my family to really be involved in um, not only medicine but kind of uh, the diversity and, and um, inclusion and equity field. And um, I think COVID has just really exacerbated the already um, structure, the already existing structural um, um, inequities in our system for healthcare, and it's kind of uh, uh, it's really shown a light in which you know um, um, Hispanics are hospitalized at three times the amount um, compared to whites. Um, the mortality rate for both blacks and Hispanics is is much higher than for whites. And in terms of kind of when you look at um, both not only race, but kind of socioeconomic status in terms of um, uh, poverty. So you kind of see that uh, certain groups of our um, of our country are at risk, not just for COVID, but for so many other preventable medical conditions. 
and um, without a really strong and robust public health um, system, then uh, it's going to continue to be perpetuated. And it's uh, it's something in which I think a lot of us have come very comfortable to saying that, you know, honestly, racism is a public health crisis and more people die from that every um, each year than, uh, you know, than other specific diseases. And it's something we need to tackle. Thank you. Yeah, and I think CDC finally came out and actually said that, right? They called it a public health yeah. threat. Uh, Josh, um, we really appreciate you coming on, um, not only for joining us for a few minutes, but also just for the work you're doing and trying to raise awareness about this. This is something that's being spouted on live television, right, during a trial, and there's no context given. Um, people are none the wiser. Um, so, yeah, we really appreciate the work you're doing. Thank you, and thank you for coming on the show tonight. Oh, yeah. No, no worries. And um, thank you for having me. Take care. Great. Thanks. Wow. Incredible insight. Uh, like awesome. Awesome. Who knew? Like, who knew? Who knew this right. type of stuff was happening? Amazing. This is one of those things that we're like, the three of us always have conversations when something big happens. And, you know, our first instinct as journalists is just to start researching some of this stuff. And you don't always know what you're going to find, but yeah. you do suspect that there's always some sort of racist origins to something and <laughs> right. And then we found this and it was just astonishing to me. And, and um, that's why we're just so grateful to having Josh on because um, like, like he said, even people in the medical community aren't talking about this and yeah. it's something that needs to people need to um, hear more about. Yeah. And, and it just absolutely, you know, it blows your mind when you, when you, when you start looking into it and, and, you know, in one of his papers that he did, he he sort of outlined exactly, you know, the official descriptions of what the police use in it. And, you know, uh, it's it, it, when I read it, it, it was every single thing that you would expect someone right. to do um, or convey if they're getting stopped for no reason. And then all of a sudden there's a gun in their face and, and stuff. I mean, it was literally like... It's just mind blowing. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, once again, uh, you bring the issues to light that do not get enough uh, attention. So thank you for that. This is what we do. This yeah. is what we are all about. This I week, mean, the story of the story of the, the 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 guy that was who thought those deaths were related to this fictional disease, and <laughs> it was actually a tribute to a serial killer. And yeah. but yeah, uh, I mean, what law enforcement is still using this? It's just again. Why are they not considering all this other stuff that's out there? You know, it's amazing because we, you know, again, and I mentioned this earlier today as sort of a layman, as sort of an everyday, you know, kind of person not as, as you guys are doing the research all the time. But it's like there are so many facets to police reform, you know, that we that we're, we're not we we're thinking about the stuff that makes the headlines. And but there's so much insidious you know, racist for sure, but just, just bad uh, practice. Just bad practices. The, 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 the training, when it comes to train, you know, to find out that, oh, you know, our training goes against this, you know, Derek Chauvin, Officer Chauvin didn't go against our training, but yet he was a trainer. <laughs> you know, like it's, it, there's so many little facets that have to be uh, corrected. I, you know, I, I know that there was some, we won't get into it, I guess, because now now we're in the opinion part of the, the show. But uh, uh, Representative uh, 
Talib, I think, was was saying, you know, shut it all down, rip it, burn it all down to the ground. It can't be reformed. We no more police, no more anything. It can't be reformed. And and I think that's an extreme view. But, you know, I understand proponents of, of that whole thing. We talked about prison abolition, uh, abolition on Newsbeat, of course, and, and what that really means. And, but to say a statement like that is is past defund the police, past, uh, you know, police abolition. It's none of this can be because there's so much of this. It's like vision. Uh, and, and in black, uh, and, and Shuri in, 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 in Endgame or no Infinity War, where she's trying to, they're so intertwined with all the neurons and it takes so much effort to try to pull these things apart and deal with them, you know, compartmentalize them and deal with them. It's so inter, inter, interconnected that it almost seems impossible to reform this. I, I thought this was going to turn into a WandaVision review, and I was here for it. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the John Chem shout out. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned Infinity War. I know. For me, John Chem or Godzilla, we have a Godzilla connection, so we could do the Godzilla King Kong talk. But you understand what I'm saying? Um, I was going to say oh. on that note. Yes. Um, because you're talking about you know. You have to dismantle it. We've interviewed experts who've said that even if we kept the pace of criminal justice reform, which could be unlikely just because of politics and, you know, tough on crime and law and order, even to cut the prison population in half, that would take 90 years. From, you know, that was so again, that when people are saying you need to reform the entire system, you need to break it, you need to shut it down and start over. I think that's the one of the reasons for that because. It's 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 a it's a lot of work just to get minor minor change to happen right. in this country, and as we've documented in previous episodes of this week in social justice, um, even in the state of New York, a, a, a ostensibly liberal utopia, right? Um, right? It's it's taken years and years of a lot of, of of pounding the pavement to get some minimal changes happen. It's very frustrating. It's it's very frustrating. You know, it's it's great to hear these perspectives and know that this is a way to tackle these issues because you can't just say uh, police accountability and then say they you know, okay they listen what happened right now uh, uh, Dante Wright in Brooklyn Center Minnesota we were talking before the show and we were like okay actually this is what you want to happen for the most part I think this is what we've been asking for uh, uh, an incident occurs. The officer is either fired immediately or resigns, which, all right, whatever, but it happened. The police chief is either fired or resigns. And you know what? He should have been fired for semi-backing it up and calling it accidental way too early. But resigns slash fired. It happened. The mayor took over the operations of the police department, right? Put in place interim heads of the department. Great. And then within a couple of days... The officer who had resigned slash fired is now being brought up on second degree manslaughter charges, which we said, oh, I didn't I, I kind of didn't expect that to happen so quickly. And so boom, 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 boom. But if but if uh, when the officer goes on trial and excited delirium is used and she is in the end not held accountable for this action, because of some pseudo like we can't just say we want accountability, you know, arrest them, you know, or charge them and then put them on trial. And then these loopholes still exist. There's so much that has to be done besides even even with everything being done right 
in this case, I guess for the most part, I would say you still got those loopholes. You still got those ways out, you know? So it's great to know that it's, this is it's amazing. It's, a, it's amazing that a prosecutor cannot dismantle that argument in cross-examination by just simply saying, uh, so the guy that you're basing all this research on um, thought that these women died from cocaine overdoses when they were really killed by a serial killer. Jury of their peers. And can I remind you how many people are still anti-vaxxers because of one pretty much doctor that had no basis in fact? So, you know, right? Wasn't it the kind of the 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 root of all that evil? So, yeah, it's it it, it it's tougher than it should be. Uh, we'll see what happens at the end of this. This trial could be over in a couple of days. This uh, Chauvin trial. So, yeah, I think that was going to be my future. If you want to just get that out of the way, yeah, let's I think, do it. Uh, cr- I think the closing arguments. Or did you want to switch? Let's um let, let oh, oh thank you for that I appreciate that uh the future yeah I know we're going to reverse and, and Chris will do the the past um but since you were segueing to it um, you do it yeah I think um we have closing arguments next week right um, I like- so I think obviously um it's going to be a powder cake, right? And not only in Minneapolis, but around the country as people await the results, because I think a lot of people already made that uh, people obviously made up their minds well before the trial started. Um, but the, just by judging by the evidence, you would think it would go a certain way, but you never know. So uh, just for people who maybe haven't been following closely, we have closing arguments next week. The defense right now is um, trying to lay down their case um, about what happened and they're using excited delirium as their uh, defense. So we just told you all about it. So um, I think you could now make up your mind if you haven't already. Yes. If you haven't already made up your mind that the trial is, uh, has come to an obvious conclusion. uh, Note that the only thing the defense can use in their defense is a scientific theory that isn't scientific. (laughs) It doesn't a medical theory that, that has no basis in fact. So there you go. Uh, Shouts to Evie in the building. Uh, And yeah, anyone listening, any comments, any questions, any concerns about the trial, about these issues, just throw them out here. We're we're smarter than your average Facebook friend, so we can answer some questions. That's not saying a lot, man. No, I know. I know that. That No not saying a lot. (laughs) You know. Uh, and, and and for you political, you know, uh, what do you call them? Uh, armchair political. Analysis. Yeah, you, you know, you, you, yeah, you armchair. We're also a little bit cooler than Pod Save America and slightly less white. So you can trust us. So, you know, that's good. So thank you for the future. Uh, my man, my mellow, Chris Savorsky. Chris Savorsky. What's the Chris you had it i think the third it was sort of a morphing between the third and the fourth time my man my mellow get on the mic you got it you eat jello um so today in in 1865 uh president lincoln was assassinated and um uh you know we like to to highlight uh uh events and and people the past are tied to uh, social justice and civil rights and, and human rights. And, and obviously Lincoln, uh, one of the many things he's, he's most remembered for is the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, right. which freed uh, all of the slaves in the Confederate states. Um, but we would be remiss if we did not mention what our good friend John Cain 
over at Let's Talk Native, the podcast and the uh, YouTube channel. Everyone should check him out. Absolutely. uh, Told us, and that was, you know, uh, I think just like five days before issuing that, he oversaw the largest mass execution in U.S. history. Um, and the incident and, and those, uh, those hung were, are, are known as the Dakota 38. And it was basically, um, you know, his way of, it was the end of what they, what they like to call the, the Lakota, the Dakota war uh, with the U S and, um, you know, what John Kane will say is take a look at this and how can you praise someone that, that signed these death warrants here? Um, mm. You know, uh, I think uh, Rashad, you were, I think, on the, on, the, uh, on the interview with him too. And it just goes on and on and on. I mean, uh, so there were 38 people finally hung, but thousands, thousands of indigenous peoples were rounded up and put in basically concentration camps. Yeah. Um, I think a very small percentage actually ended up surviving. And uh, I mean, this, this is horrific, but this is what happened. Um, many of the bodies were dumped in a shallow grave and then dug up and used for cadavers, you know, in our, in our hospital and science institutions. Mm. Um, so exploited in death. You never hear this. So, you know, again, you know, I think that obviously uh, you'll hear a lot about Lincoln uh, for many, many, many reasons. This is not something that really gets mentioned. Yeah. And so we mention it here. All right. I appreciate the perspective. Uh, we did actually a couple of episodes ago, uh, if indigenous issues are uh, particularly uh, of interest to you, we had a really great talk a couple of episodes uh, uh, regarding uh, Holland's uh, appointment. Can you just remind people what we, what we had on that episode? Yeah, I mean, the first time uh, in history that an indigenous person uh, has been uh, put in the cabinet, and uh, it's significant for, I mean, tons of reasons, but one of them being that she's overseeing uh, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which uh, historically, uh, you know, decimated. I mean, uh, you could go on and on and on about how, but Yep. Uh, the entire indigenous people's population. Uh, and so now she's, she's overseeing that along with many other divisions within that department um, that, you know, a lot of it has to do with mining rights. I mean, you know, so, I mean, we could go on and on, but. Oh, we, we talked about that in an episode. So uh, again, uh, go back to our catalog. You can uh, podcast and chill with net, uh, with Netflix, with Newsbeat uh, and this week in social justice to find out more about these issues. Uh, listen, I was, it was very clever, and I'm allowed to slip up every now and then. All right. I should just, okay, as I just admitted on Slack, I'm terrible with names. So thanks to Sage for reminding us that that was uh, Leah Salgado of Illuminative. Yes, um, it was, was incredible. And I wanted to, I wanted to uh, definitely give, give her flowers because she was dope uh, and, and yeah. broke down a lot of what that meant. So do check us out. If you like what you heard tonight, we go into these crazy tangents uh, about all of these issues. Uh, not the stuff you could turn on your CNNs and your MSNBCs. And I mean, you won't see any of this on Fox news anyway, but you'll get the days to day of the show of trial, which is horrific and triggering. And I know a lot of people that are just actually not watching it. 
uh, because to have to really, and I'm talking about, you know, people of color, people from these communities that do not just, just tired, tired of seeing it, hearing it, reliving it, tasting it, feeling it, smelling it. I get it. Um, some of the issues we bring up are related to the main issue, but are sort of the backdoor issues. The, as you say, Chris, very often shining a light uh, where it's not often um, uh, shown uh, to make sure that uh, we understand that there are ways to tackle these problems. We, we don't just have to uh, be shown over and over again the, uh, the, the triggering events, but we can find ways, we can find organizations, we can find great folks that are writing the, 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 uh, the papers and, and, and advocating against uh, these, uh, these injustices. And we bring them on the show and we bring them to y'all. So that's what we do. Any yeah. final words? Do we, do we do everything? I just want to mention, um, so there's another podcast that's, that's out. Yes. Political, a political podcast. Okay. And, and I don't know too much about who's behind it. Yep. Um, but it's called Unfucking the Republic. And yes, I have. Whoa. Was I the very first one to drop an F-bomb on a show? I don't know. Whoa. I think I might have been. I think Manny, you might have done that once in the early days, but not allowed. Wrong, wrong answer. But uh, we're featured on on the current episode, uh, which is about mass incarceration and the war on drugs. That's true. And and they play uh, an excerpt from our war on drugs episode uh, from way back. And I have to tell you, it's 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 infuriating. This episode that that they have, and it's also absolutely hysterical at some points there's this whole right. intervention in the middle of it i'm telling you you it's have to podcast. listen to it it's a good podcast you have you know, to listen to it you know that i i produced that podcast no it's true it's true oh man mm-hmm. uh, well, i guess we know why we were featured then we, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we do recommend it listen if you're listeners of newsbeat you will love this podcast they they shouted us out uh we have uh the production team in common uh, but, um, wow. Breaking down the issues in such an incredible way. Uh, I learned as, as much as I learned r- rocking with the Newsbeat crew, I learned so much listening to un King the Republic. How's that? You could have, you could have, um, anti-Muslim hate groups on Facebook, but you can't say that word. Isn't that crazy? I, I didn't, I didn't get, I didn't get the fringe reference, um, I didn't get to put the fringe reference in, in this one. So at least I have this, I have this to lay claim to. Well, you know First what? Let's take, let's, First take, let's take it out. I think, I think Chris wants to mention the fringe reference. He, he really, no, 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 no. we'll do it another episode. Cause now no, it's, it's not, it's not time to give the people what they want. Now you, you got to give the people what they want. This is what's happening in the streets of New York city right now. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that it? No, do I have the wrong thing? <laughs> That's, Makes sense. Ugh. What the hell? All right, let's take it out with this. Yeah, I had to see this. Come on, talk about it. These these robotic canines are being deployed <laughs> in New York City. It turns out that they've been deployed in Massachusetts by the state police. And also, of all places, they were used to enforce social distance mandates in Singapore. Can you imagine standing there and seeing these things sort of trying to herd you? As soon as I saw this, I don't know why. Heard you. Wait, hold on. We gotta show them what it's like. You, you probably the ants I heard. You probably saw oh, you this. You probably saw this, people. Uh, you might have seen this on sixty minutes when I first saw this. 
Uh, you might have seen this tweet. It went extremely viral, and you have to see these guys, these these goddamn dogs. There's this. That was a domestic violence dispute in a housing so project. in the robo, the robo cop. Ugh, I can't watch it. I can't I watch it. I've never seen nothing like this before in my life. <laughs> you and me, you and me it's both. True. What is that? Bruh. So if you attacked that as a civilian, would you have been arrested? Or something? Like, so because so I, I was this. trying to take that thing and toss so, it. So get this. So so get this. First of all, that is not something you want to mess with. I will tell you right off the bat. <laughs> I we only know so little about it, but one thing I do know is that they use these things to tow 18 wheelers. That's how strong these things are. And Bruh. they have they have a capability of quote limitless data collection. Oh, that's more better than a dog. <laughs> better than a dog. Oh. Look, it's not we're not done yet. The party ain't over. Wait, it went back. It went back for a second investigation. Can, can you? I got to tell you, the first time I saw this thing, I don't know why. I imagine trying to run away from one, and I just didn't see. I didn't seem like I was going to get too far. I'm. I'm pretty sure I saw this. I, I think Walter Bishop dreamt this. No, no. So, so this is by Boston Dynamic. No, no, no. You mean massive, massive dynamic? Because that those are the ones that are definitely behind anything that. That exists like that. Massive dynamic. I wish I wish the people on the bot podcast feed can see this. We create technology. How it is used is not our concern. We just own the patents. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> check it off. Rache, we can check that right off our bucket list. Uh, we we got just to- need a little Joshua Joshua Jackson action that we'd be. You saw Olive in the that. background there, Nina. Yeah. I, I used to watch that show. Uh, shouts to Don Will, who says he can't wait till folks learn how to hack those dogs and treat them like <laughs> city bikes. <laughs> and those. So another, you know, one of the reasons why we want. We want can, you can you imagine ha- hacking the police dogs? <laughs> you riding down a block, <laughs> bro. Anyway, yeah, yeah. I mean, another another reason why I wanted to mention those those things was they cost about uh, seventy five grand, and so you know, in this time where we're questioning police budgets and the over militarization of local police departments, uh, not to mention privacy concerns and 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 mass surveillance, um, you have these things <laughs> you have these things being deployed. No, I was gonna say I was gonna say private. First of all, seventy five grand. My stimmy and my tax refund hit the right way. I might, I might buy one of these dogs um, for myself. Uh, but secondly, the privacy concerns. You said there was something about it being able to pull sucks up limitless data. Limitless. It's a black hole. It's a robotic, extraterrestrial black hole data sucker. Well, now, what does that mean, D- now, Manny? Manny, can you have Manny? You got one of those dogs over there right now, don't you? I don't know. We'll see. This is my favorite way that we've ever ended the show, actually. So better than the polka, the hip hop. Other than the polka, other than the polka, pretty good. But what do you mean by sucking in data? What can it do? Like hijack cell phones and and, it sends a beam of light into your brain. No, I have I have no idea. I am a robot dog. I am coming to get you. Ah. 
I'm so happy that we messed this up at the beginning of the show because like faces. <laughs> we're off we're we're off the we're we're in, we're in overtime right now. All right. I'm Mr. coming to send us out. Later. Send us out. All right, one more time. It's madness over here now. Once again, thank you for listening, tuning, and watching. You're gonna break your dog. This dog cost seventy thousand dollars. <laughs> this, this week is social justice brought to you by the uh, purely insane Newsbeat crew. Check us out on the podcast feed, usnewsbeat.com, for all the stuff that we do, including very serious uh, podcasts about very serious issues. Uh, you will find us tomorrow if you're on the Clubhouse app. We will do a, a recap of sorts. We want to bring what we do to different platforms. Uh, so we'll be on Clubhouse talking about this show and some of the issues that we covered. Uh, so if you're on Clubhouse, search for uh, me. Easiest thing to do. Manny Faces uh, or Rashed Mian. Uh, and uh, you'll find who we're connected to and we'll be able to link up and you'll uh, be able to take part in that discussion uh, if you're there. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, new episodes of Newsbeat coming out soon. Uh, we'll be back every Wednesday. Uh, we have a, Actually, we have a guest lined up for next week already that's uh, super interesting. Any teases on that or... Uh, uh, I guess it's just going to touch on a lot, some of the themes that we uh, we hit today because obviously okay. hugely relevant. These are these are all interconnected and tied together. Uh, on a personal note, this is well. If I don't know, you never know. Uh, now it's sold out. Uh, Brick City Comedy Review. I'll be DJing. We're back in business. We're doing outdoor shows out here in Newark, New Jersey. The Brick City Comedy Review. I'm the house DJ, uh, and we have a show uh, show at the All Points West Distillery. So laughter, outdoor, safe. COVID-free, spirits, good night. Uh, but we'll be doing more of those things. So if you're in Newark, New Jersey or anywhere nearby, come uh, follow me and check me out. Uh, do check out our friends on the Republic, unftrpod.com. And uh, I guess that's it. Thanks to everyone who's Indeed. helped us out. Thanks to More Creative Studios. Uh, thanks for us uh, to Sage uh, on the back end of this. Uh, our associate producer helping out. All right, this is it. We're going out with this. Oh, that shit worked better than a dog. <laughs> oh, yeah.